Am I off and running? I came over to the first service this morning, forgot my message, uh, couldn't figure out how to turn my microphone on again, so I'm a little rusty. And uh, for those of you that are maybe new to Southwinds, first-time guests today, or maybe you weren't here last week, um, I may appear to be the newcomer, but uh, I am Jay Mills. I'm the executive pastor here at Southwinds Church, but you may have heard from Pastor Mike or one of the other pastors that I've been on an extended medical leave for heart surgery for the last couple months. And let me tell you, I am very glad to be with you today. I am trying to be a good patient, and uh, so I'll be sitting before you today rather than standing and not as demonstrative maybe as I normally am. So that's part of your blessing, I think, this morning too. But but I want to welcome the first-time guests and, and also want to tell you that if you would indulge me for a moment, I want to say some thank yous. Uh, very appreciative to a number of people. First and foremost, my wife, uh, thank you for her prayers. You all know that she needed those prayers if she was helping to take care of me. And uh, she was a champ. I mean, she drove every day for 21 days. Uh, to the hospital uh, in San Francisco to be by my side. Uh, she smuggled contraband food in on my behalf. Uh, I'm grateful for that. I swear some of that hospital food could be used as an enhanced interrogation technique possibly, but it was good. I made it through. And probably most importantly, uh, she did not allow me to have access to my cell phone or my laptop while I was in a drug-induced state. So... Uh, you did not get any uh, messages from me <laughs> that you shouldn't have received from me, so I'm grateful for that. But she did let me down on, uh, in one instance, and I know you'll keep this private between just us, but, you know, she didn't hold my hand all the way through. When I held, had my cardial version, and if you're not familiar with that procedure, that's an electric shock procedure that jump starts your heart and puts it into rhythm. She refused to hold my hand during that, so I don't know, but I forgive her for that. She was nearly perfect otherwise, so... I want to thank also our, our church staff. Debbie Malloy added additional hours, many additional hours uh, in my absence. Pastor Mike, really the whole staff really stood the gap, uh, and I, I really appreciative. And we did not miss a beat. And then, you know, Tony Bennett likes to sing, I left my heart in San Francisco. Well, I literally took my heart to San Francisco, but I want you to know that my... Uh, Figuratively, my heart was left here with you. And uh, Kim and I are very overwhelmed by the support we got, the love from our church family. Didn't catch us by surprise, but this emotion, emotion definitely does catch me by surprise. So, so thank you uh, for all the things that you did on our behalf. And I would do you a disservice if I did not single out one group, and that's our small group. They were phenomenal. I mean, the things that they have done and continue to do on our behalf. And I say that because small group registration is next week. It'll be out in the courtyard. Pastor Chris Martinez and his team will be there. And I can't express to you enough how important it is to live life with your small group. I mean, it's for the knowns in life and the unknowns in life, and there is a small group for you. Uh, you know, my brother wanted to come out during the course of my surgery. My sister-in-law wanted to come stay and help out. My mom wanted to help out. And we said, no, we got our church family, and we have our small group, and that was more than enough. And, uh, uh, you know, I think about Proverbs. It says, don't run home to your family when things get rough. Better a nearby friend than a distant family. So all biblical principles are true, but thank you for being our family as well as our friends. Uh, I, I do want to tell you that, thank you, I appreciate that. 
And uh, I want you to know that I am on the mend, although it may not look like it. This is as good as it gets, okay? But uh, this is, uh, I have lost 15 pounds. I may look a little differently. I do not recommend, I recommend this diet for any of you that are maybe considering different diet plans. My physique looks a little different. I now look like the aftershot, but I thought I'd share a picture of what I really looked like just before surgery. Uh, so... That, that, that's really more true of who I, I truly am and so forth. And, and now I don't quite look like that. I'll, to be honest, I don't know if I'll ever resume that physique again. But, but I do swear, I, I swear to you this is true. Part of the reason for that is because of the surgery. When they put my chest back together again, you know, it just did not align right. And so I swear this is true. I've told my wife and pointed it out. One nipple is higher than the other nipple. And... And I don't know if, you know, working out again will rectify that, or maybe you possibly will see Pastor Jay on an episode of Botched, maybe in the future, so stay tuned for that. So, uh, but hey, there's a purpose for everything that we go through in life. We know that to be the case. I know there were things that I received from that the Lord wanted to teach me, and for Kim as well, and there's a message that he wanted me to bring you today. It's part of an Old Testament story with a New Testimony twist in what's happened during our course in these last couple of months. So, so I want to share with you, first of all, a little backstory. I had this issue for about seven years, and I was in pretty decent shape, <laughs> not quite like that, uh, but pretty good shape, and it never would occur, but I'd walk up a flight of steps and feel like I was going to pass out. And ultimately, I did. Last summer, I passed out, and I did all additional tests and, you know, heart monitors, all these things, nothing. And this past spring, it worsened. Even when I went out for just a walk with Kim, I could feel that. And they finally discovered a murmur, and what it was was a mitral valve, and it was supposed to be a minimally invasive procedure. I'd be in and out of the hospital in five days, and that uh, 21 days of hospitalization and two surgeries later... I'm so glad to be with you. But my story really begins with a follow-up appointment. Kim and I got on an elevator, and there was an older gentleman there, and he had a Marine Corps cap, and he had a Marine Corps uh, polo shirt on, and, and he looked at this pillow that, uh, that either I was holding or Kim was holding, and he immediately identified with it. Maybe you identify with it out there today as well. And let me tell you about this pillow. You get this, uh, no extra charge, when you go to the hospital for heart surgery. And what it's for is to hold against your chest. You hold it against your chest because it's to prevent your lungs from expanding. You compress them when you cough. And you're going uh, to cough because after surgery, you have fluid in your lungs. And you need to expel that fluid so that you don't develop pneumonia. And, you know, sneeze can do it as well. And laughing, I tried not to laugh, but I, you know... I laughed at myself most of the time while I was there. But, but you want to have this pillow with you, and it never left our side for about a month there. And he identified with that pillow, and, and he said, it looks like you and I have been given extended time. And I thought about that, extended time. And I realized as I thought about it more and more, I mean, that was a divine appointment, and it really brought the message that I have with you today. And as I thought about it more, I thought about, and the title of the sermon is off of uh, the Rolling Stones song, for those of you that are a little bit closer to my age. They used to sing, Time is on my side. And then in the chorus, the next three words were what? Yes, it is. Well, I'm here to tell you, no, it's not. And it shouldn't take an episode where you're hooked up to a heart and lung machine to be mechanically kept alive to realize that time is completely out of our control. 
We might think we have all the time in the world, and most of us did when we were younger, but there's no promise of tomorrow. What we have is today, and what we have is right now. And one of the worst pieces of advice I got as I transitioned from being a college football coach into full-time Christian ministry was actually from another pastor. And what this pastor said was, hey, slow down. You got time. He said, you don't have to get it all done in one season like you did as a coach, or, or maybe in four years even. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to know there are no guarantees, and the warranty of our lives comes with an expiration date. David said, my time is in your hands, and so is yours. And nobody knew it better than Hezekiah. You know, Hezekiah, in fact, knew that his time was up. And we start our passage in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 20, and it says this. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. You know, Scripture is meant to be interactive. There's lessons to be learned. There's questions that need to be asked. And there's application that we need to apply from the lives or the deathbed or near-deathbed experiences of these faithful followers. And one of the ones for me was obviously, Get your house in order. While there's still time. And that's the number one takeaway from that. We need to get our house in order. You know, on my mind, I knew that there was a pretty good chance of survival from this surgery, but it wasn't 100%, and there are no guarantees. And our job is to prepare for every eventuality, whatever it may be, and that means we need to take care of things personally and professionally. And for professionally, for me, I wanted to make sure the church was ready to go while I was absent and that everything was covered and every T was crossed, every I was dotted. That was my responsibility to you and to the kingdom. Personally, I wanted to make sure that Kim was taken care of and that she knew where to go for guidance in certain areas and conditions that might be important to her as she would move forward. But most importantly to me, it meant that I had an opportunity to convey and promote the gospel of God's grace one more time to my children and indirectly to my grandchildren. See, the most important thing to me, and I'm sure to everybody here, is I want to see my children and grandchildren again. And to optimize that, I needed to make sure my house was in order. As Paul said, and I had peace because of it, because I felt like I'd done my part. Like Paul said to the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience today. How about your conscience today? Do you have your house in order? Well, Hezekiah's response was here in verse 2. He turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. After he received that news, the second lesson that we learn from it is he turned to the Lord, and we are to turn to the Lord in times of trouble. I was so blessed that I had a phenomenal medical staff that was there. I mean, they were outstanding. They, the, the cardiac care unit in San Francisco during the surgery, the team that was put together and then post-surgery. And in preparation for the surgery, they did the very best that they could working from a worldly secular standpoint. And I appreciate their efforts, but I want you to know that their efforts are always going to come up short. They are not in full control as well. And one of the things they gave me to prepare was a CD and it was titled Preparing for Successful Surgery, a program of guided imagery, affirmations, and music. And you might be able to tell, I don't know if you can see it in the reflection, but I haven't cracked open the cellophane in that. <laughs> because what I did was I had confidence because I turned my face in the right direction. I turned to the Lord. 
I mean, Deuteronomy says this, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In fact, I knew that should I survive, it would be because God's word says that that's the case. And what it says in his word to remind me of that is 2 Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The thing that we have control over is our hearts and the commitment and dedication and devotion we have to the heavenly father. He is the great physician. He will determine whether our time is extended or our time is not. For the Christ follower, a devoted heart is the key to our resurgence. And Hezekiah knew that. It was the basis of his prayer and his appeal. Going to verse 3. Remember, as Hezekiah prayed, he said, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears, and I will hear you. And that's the third takeaway is this. Prayer changes things. I mean, God hears our prayers. Let me qualify that. He hears our prayers if we're one of his children. He hears all prayers, but there is no scriptural support that he acts on the petitions of those who do not profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. But for us as Christ followers, there's a direct lifeline to the Almighty. In John, John says, 1 John, John says this, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. So while Lord's purpose, it does not change, God's word is clear that his means can be altered through prayer. And Moses, one of his faithful servants, knew it best. In Psalm 106, it says this, so he said he would destroy them. That's God speaking. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. And it wasn't the only time that this happened in the life of Moses. And it's not the only time in Scripture we read that. We can read it in Amos, in the book of Jonah, in the book of Jeremiah. The truth is the Lord does not change his mind. If it did, it would say, it would it would contend that he is not perfect. And we know he's perfect. He does not make mistakes, but he can change circumstances or he can change us. You know, I love the song by Scott Crepain. It's an older worship and praise song, but the line from the song, which is part of the title, is sometimes he calms the storm and sometimes he calms the child. And that's what he did on the latter case for me. You know, Kim was approached on more than one occasion before the surgery, and people would ask, how's he really doing? Because I seem to be at peace. And she said, what you see is what you get. And Kim was at peace as well, too. And I don't know if it had anything to do with our life insurance premiums being paid in full. <laughs> that could be part of it. But God kept bringing a verse to mind, and that verse was this, Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And don't get me wrong, I, I want to have my life extended if I had the choice to be able to be there for the moments of my children and grandchildren and loved ones. At the same point in time, let's keep things in perspective if we can. I mean, when compared to eternity, a snap of the fingers is all the time we'd be separated, a bat of the eye. It's really a minuscule amount of time. The most important thing 
that is to keep the right perspective with regard to time. And the, since the Bible says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, then I knew that I was in a win-win scenario. I just didn't know whose presence I would be when I awoke. And before my eyes even opened, I heard Kim's voice, and I knew that my time here would be extended. Which brings me to my fourth point from this passage. Found in verse 5 and verse 6, On the third day from now you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. If our time is extended, it means he has more work for us to do. By giving him this task, and not just any task, he sent him to the temple. I really believe what he was telling Hezekiah is the same message he has for me to share with you today. And that is to worship him and serve others. And that means there's ministry opportunities that abound all around us. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that I've missed more than I've connected on. I want to do better. And through his power and his strength, through the Holy Spirit, I know in confidence I can and I shall. You know, for you and me, it is such a privilege to be invited into the redemptive mission of the Heavenly Father. But I want you to know he doesn't need us. It's going to get accomplished with or without us, but we are the ones that can be the blessing and receive the blessing. And I think back on Pastor Mike's sermon when he kicked off this series, I watched it on video, and those words keep coming back to me because he spoke on Esther, and Esther at one moment in her life wanted to be a conscientious objector. And then her uncle said, think again. And in Esther chapter 4, we read these words. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for a time such as this. You may not be in a royal position, but you're exactly where you're supposed to be today, and you're in a position and at a time such as this. What are we going to do with that time? The Lord's will is going to be done, with or without us. And when you think about it for a moment, why should we have our time extended if we're not willing to do what he's called us to do today? We must use our time wisely. You know, my mom has had a neighbor for the last two decades, and this neighbor is meticulous about his lawn care. I mean, it's in pristine condition, and the landscaping staying on top of that. And it's a small place, but I've seen him in person. I have seen him take out a pair of scissors and clip a couple blades of glass, uh, grass to make sure that it's just where he wants it to be. Well, just a few weeks ago, he went to the hospital and it became very apparent that he wasn't going to return home from the hospital. So my mom had an opportunity to share the plan of salvation with him and another person as well. And I'm pleased to report that he did accept Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. When he passed away, it was very interesting because as such is the case sometimes, 10 days later, his wife passed away. And my wife, or my, my mother in this case, she looked at his lawn and his property couple weeks ago and he'd been gone for now three weeks and she said it's so sad she said weeds are already taken over 20 years at least that's the time that my mom was beside him that he spent on this property for what it was gone in a matter of a few weeks and so that should remind all of us that we should want to invest in things that last things that stand the test of time you know we need to do our best to leave something behind for those who follow in our stead. And nothing we can do more important than leave the gospel message to testify to Jesus Christ for those who follow. 
As complications arose for me, uh, they came immediately. You know, five days I was supposed to be in there, and I had issues with oxygen. I had issues with uh, an irregular heartbeat, uh, possible infection, and so forth. I got to day five, and it made me think. And I know it's the Holy Spirit that laid this upon my heart, and this was the thought that I had. Maybe you're here for another reason other than getting your heart fixed. Maybe there's a ministry opportunity here that you need to be aware of, and maybe you will not be released until you take care of it. And it reminded me of this. Just because we're hospitalized doesn't mean that we go on God's injured reserve. Wherever we are, we are going to be the right person at the right time for the Heavenly Father. To live as Christ means that we're always on call, no matter what we think our condition might be. And I learned that I needed to be off of the sidelines as well. And so I prayed for the opportunities to make a difference to the lives of doctors, nurses, uh, uh, patients, whatever it might be. And I really think that Kim and I had a kind of a neat ministry going for an extended period of time, but I also knew it began with my roommate. I needed to share with him. Now, he had come in a couple of days prior to his surgery uh, to get ready for it, and we never really had time alone. I mean, as you know, if you've been in the hospital or visited someone, doctors, nurses, in and out, family members, and so forth, and it's through the night and everything and, and, and so on. Until 11 p.m., the eve before his surgery, we were alone. It was silent. It was dark. There was a curtain between us, but I decided to kind of lob that shot across the bow, you know, and I said, hey, I just want you to know that tomorrow I will be praying for you. And his response was this. He said, thank you. He said, I just hope I'll be as courageous as you. And I said, well, thank you for your kind comments, but I want you to know that's not me. I'm a weak man. If you saw courage in me, may I share with you the origination of where that courage has come from? And he said, by all means, please do. Well, that was obviously my open to share, but at the same point in time, I had two things going against me. Number one was I was coughing at that point. And again, because the pain and so forth, as I mentioned already, coughing's no fun. And there were times I had a friend visit the hospital that I was texting to him and he would speak to me because I just couldn't, I couldn't talk. I'd tell Kim, point to her and then like that to tell her, hey, you got to talk. I can't say anything. That was my first problem. The second problem, and let me interrupt myself and say this, isn't there always something that comes up when we're trying to do God's work? Isn't there always that tends to want to get in the way? I mean, next gen, we want to expand God's territory right here. Isn't there going to be something? I mean, we need to continue to pray, please, for all of our church leaders and so forth, because the enemy's not going to like this to happen. But you know what? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I know how the story ends. He wins. So the second thing that was against me that day was this, or that moment, was that I was in a drug-induced state. I mean, and most of you think I am already, so... You're going, what's the difference with that? But I had IVs in. I hadn't had any sleep. And, I, you know, on and off, as you know, the traffic and so forth, I was tired. Drugs, I was taking orally and so forth. And so I prayed to the Lord a quick prayer because the avenue had been open for me. I said, Lord, please help me during this time. And he did. And as always, more than we can ever imagine. And I closed my eyes so I could focus. And as I started to share with him, it was as if, as if I was shopping on shelves of a grocery store. There are verses here that I pulled into the conversation. Verses I had never used in this context before, and there they were. 
and then apologetics information here and plan of salvation information here and it all tied together and I'm telling you this, the awesome thing was it was like I was in a, a third party to this scene that God was definitely using me as a vehicle on this. I couldn't have prepared that as a sermon if I would have had months to prepare and had anything come out like that. I was just so in awe what God did. And I did not cough once for the entire time that I spoke, and it was 30 minutes. And when I opened my eyes, talk about the shotgun approach. You know, we think we're taking a rifle and hitting a target, and God's using a shotgun when we just open and can share His Word I opened my eyes and there was a doctor standing there with her hands folded and her head bowed in front of me, listening to every word I was sharing as well. This gentleman prayed and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ that night. And Kim was able to swing by the church and get some information materials that once he came out of ICU, we went and visited him to help give him that to get off to a great start. There's always work for us to do. We just need to pay attention. Verse 6. And I will deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Lesson number five is during our lifetimes, there will always be another battle to fight. But as a Christ follower, we know that it is God who is always leading the charge. This wasn't the first instance in which God had ex extended time. If you look in the book of Joshua, and let me take you back there, Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land, and they're annexing more and more territory. And during this course of time, they came into a covenant with uh, the residents of Gibeon. Now, five kings from five city-states of Canaan did not like that Gibeon had sided with the enemy, so they decided to attack Gibeon. So that invoked the clause in the alliance, so to speak, that brought Joshua and his warriors into the battle on behalf of the Lord and those he had had a covenant with. But what was employed by Joshua that day was the most unique strategy that brought overwhelming victory that has ever been recorded on the face of the earth. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down by about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since the day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And no matter what you may be fighting today, what battle you're in or the battle that you don't even know that's coming tomorrow, the Lord will fight for you as well. He no, loves you no less than he loves Joshua and he loves Hezekiah. Joshua still had battles to fight as he annexed more and more of the promised land and Hezekiah still needed to face the Assyrians, but look what happened on his behalf. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. You own the day. You own the night, it says in Psalms. You put the stars and sun in place. And what that tells us is the Lord will fight for us 24-7 as well. He fought for Joshua by day. He fought for Hezekiah by night. And I learned the lesson firsthand. I had been out of the hospital after the first surgery about five days. And on the sixth day, which was Father's Day... 
I needed to go to the emergency room. And even while I was there, I felt fine. And, you know, I wanted to get out and get something to eat. I hadn't eaten in a while and celebrate Father's Day with some kind of meat of some type. And, uh, you know, they kept taking blood. They drew my blood four different times. and They kept saying this number kept getting worse. I probably had a heart attack that morning. I was pretty confident that I had not had a heart attack. But they said something wasn't right. Later that evening, because it drug on and drug on, about 8 o'clock or so, we did a CAT scan, and shortly after that, the ER doctor came in and sat down and said, I have some bad news for you. Your heart is bleeding. And she let us know that it was a grave situation, that I was in a life-threatening place. And, you know, I had a little time to prepare for that first surgery. Uh, I was blindsided by this one, and so was Kim. And Kim began to cry beside me, and I mean, that jolts you as a husband, as you guys know. And I want you to know that the guy that was described as courageous a few days earlier, a week and a half earlier, whatever it was, felt fear. But you know, instinctively, while we're here in the flesh, you hit your thumb with a hammer. I mean, it's going to smart, but something's wrong if you dwell on that for days and weeks ahead. So the thing that first came to my mind was, if this is it, this is not the way I'm going out. I'm not going out fearful. So I told Kim, I said, let's pray. And we prayed. And the thing that I prayed in that prayer was something like this. I said, Lord, I said the two most commonly used words in a phrase that I know of in Scripture are fear not. That's the choice that I make. I choose to trust you and fear not. And when I surrendered my life to you, I didn't surrender it on the conditions that I place upon this life. If this is it, then praise to you and all glory to you. And if time is extended, then praise to you, and all glory goes to you. And guess what returned? Peace of the Holy Spirit for both Kim and I. Cardiologist came in that was on call, and, you know, we expressed that we wanted to go back to San Francisco. They had intimate knowledge of my situation, and uh, they're just outstanding at what they did. And they said, well, there's still maybe some traffic, 9 o'clock at night, Father's Day, uh, it may take two and a half to three hours to get to San Francisco, and you may not have two and a half to three hours. So I was taken by, transported by uh, ambulance to another hospital that featured a little bit more uh, uh, cardiac uh, uh, care, uh, and they forgot about me. <laughs> they, I, they told me and apologized the next morning that I had fallen through the cracks. So uh, Kim and I looked at my vital signs and said, you know, I'm feeling much better. So uh, we decided to sign myself out and drive to San Francisco. The cardiovascular surgeon said, you know, he wouldn't sign me out. I had to do it myself. But we, we were united, Kim and I, on this. We knew that's where we needed to be. We felt a peace about that decision. And God cleared the road. Uh, and Kim drives fast. Um, <laughs> and so an hour and 40 minutes later, we were at the hospital in San Francisco. And you know, the only time that I ever prayed that God would extend my life was on that trip. <laughs> and I'm serious about that because I didn't want to pass away with Kim driving me there and have her live with it. You know, I mean, even though we are on the same page, you know, that's, that's the only time I prayed for that. And God, God in case you didn't know, God answered that prayer. Um, <laughs> in fact, like I said before, in fact, I'm here with you today. Um, but... Um, but anyway, I, I learned this, you know, cower or conquer. That's the choice we have, and it's where we place our faith. We placed our faith in the Lord Almighty. And once again, 
The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The last line in this passage says, For the sake of my servant David. And that leaves us with the sixth lesson, and that is God has given us a model to follow. And this wasn't the first time that Hezekiah had come across um, uh, this verse is mentioned, I should say, in relation to Hezekiah. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 19, for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend the city and protect it. And the line is used 10 times in Scripture, and so this is something that should not be discounted. There's something to this. And what it does is it reminds us that God had a covenant with David. He said this to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And it began with David, and it was established forever through one righteous king, Jesus Christ. And in between, David would have descendants that would be on the throne, but some were better than others. But in the Davidic line of kings, the one that was the best of all was Hezekiah. And using coaching vernacular, it's because Hezekiah operated off of David's playbook. I mean, I'm going to show you 10 things, and I'm going to go quickly through the first nine. You will not be able to copy this all down, but if you want to email me, I'll send it to you, and you can have it. But there's nine ways right off the bat that David's, or Hezekiah's life paralleled David's. His military exploits mirrored those of David. He restored and reformed Judah's worship. He had the Levites lead the purification of the temple. He consulted the assembly in his decision-making. He appointed the Levites and priests to, among other things, give thanks and praise. He included music as a part of their worship. He led with generosity. He organized similarly. He encouraged others with these words, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. But most importantly, he modeled David's character. And I want to share with you, when I first got to Southwinds almost four years ago, uh, when I got here and I first spoke to you, I, I shared a testimony. And in that testimony, I talked about there was a period in my life where I was a broken man where I was emotionally in more pain than I would ever want my worst enemy to be in. And it seemed like it would go on forever, but we all know that these things come in seasons in our life. And during that period of time, I went without sleep. I probably averaged about an hour, hour and a half of sleep during that extended stay. And I had a choice, inundate myself with things of this world which would temporarily numb me or bathe myself in God's word and in Christian presence. And so Christian music I listened to nonstop. If I wasn't reading the word, if I could, when the church doors were open, I was there in Bible study and devotionals and so forth. And I came across one devotional that after I read it on the other side of the page, it had one question and it said, what are the four cornerstones of a Christian life? And I immediately prayed over it and I said, Lord, unveil that to me, reveal yourself and almost immediately, four words jumped out to me. Faithfulness, obedience, righteousness, and service. And so for the period that would come up, months that would follow, I started to do word searches on those four words. And I studied scripture and so forth and kind of put my own devotional track together. And then all of a sudden, seven months later, I came to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6. And in that, Solomon is taking over for the reign of his father, David. And he's speaking with God. And Solomon says this, Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart 
And if you walk in, and then this is the Lord responding to Solomon. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Faithfulness, obedience, righteousness, and service. And I knew that that was an epiphany for me. It would be not only the foundation of my life, but it would be the foundation of ministry that I would want to share it, need to share it every opportunity I could. This is what a man after God's own heart looks like. And so as I studied, I found that there's only two other individuals in all of Scripture that are said, those exact four words are used to describe. First one won't surprise you, it's Jesus Christ. The second one, and the only other person uh, that is immortal that has those words is Hezekiah. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and you'll read this. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands he sought his God and worked how? Wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. David was a man after God's own heart. The model followed by Hezekiah made him a man after God's own heart. And we are to be men and women after God's own heart today. The heart is kind of a big deal. I mean, if you look at the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you look at God speaking to Samuel as he goes to anoint David as the second king of Israel and bypass all the more impressive, better looking sons of Jesse, the Lord says to him, the Lord does not look at the same thing that people look at. People look at the outward appearance. Isn't that true? But God looks at the heart. It's all about the heart. And so it leads me to this. The Lord cares about the conditions of our heart. So my question to you is, when's the last time you had a heart examination? And guess what? You don't need to go to a cardiologist in this context. You can examine it yourself. A self-examination and you need to have a regular checkup. And if you do so, it's going to mean that your heart is in one of three conditions today. First of all, you need a heart transplant. Secondly, you need heart repair. And the third thing is you may be free from heart disease and that's awesome, but you need to maintain a healthy lifestyle so that you're not infected later. Regardless of our status, Hezekiah prescribes the proper course of action for each of us and where we're at today. First, Hezekiah helps us diagnose if surgery might be needed. In chapter 18 of 2 Kings, it says this, he did, meaning Hezekiah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Again, there's a reason for reinforcement. What did he do? Well, here's what he did. And this is when he took over and became king of Judah. The first thing he did was he removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. The first thing that Hezekiah did was he removed all the idols. What are the idols? They're the things that are in our lives that take the place of the true God of our lives the Almighty. And the bronze snake, I think, is an interesting, interesting uh, section. And so I want to just focus on that for a second. And just briefly, if you're not familiar with the bronze snake, tell you about the bronze snake. So the bronze snake came about because as the Israelites made their way to the promised land, 
Time and time again, we know they were disobedient. And their disobedience showed up in this instance through unbelief. And God, in his wrath, sent venomous snakes throughout the camp, and many were bitten and died. And once again, Moses interceded on behalf of his people, and God heard the prayer and changed the circumstances. And he told Moses, put together a bronze snake, put it up on a pole, and anyone who looks up at the bronze snake will be healed. It became the remedy for their sin of unbelief. You know, and then what do we do as people at times? We take God's blessing and turn it into a curse. And that's why when they started worshiping the snake, Hezekiah had to smash it to smithereens. But the story doesn't end there. If you go to John chapter 3, we hear Jesus say these words. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, his favorite description for himself, must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Once again, the synergy of the Bible is amazing. Think about it for a moment. Written over 1,500 years in three different continents, in three different languages, by more than 40 authors, and it all fits seamlessly together. Jesus is the remedy for our sin of unbelief today. And if we only look to him on the cross and to what he did there for us, we will be saved and we will receive a heart transplant. God's word is clear about that as well. Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You can't make this up if you tried. Over 1,500 years? It takes more belief to think that this is all coincidence than to believe that this was from a divine authority that put this all together for you and I today. Maybe you're already Christ follower, and that's awesome, but maybe you also recognize that there's an obstruction that needs to be bypassed, that needs to be cleared. You're in need of surgery, and this same section will speak well to you. Do you have a bronze serpent in your life today? Is there something that God's given you, and incorrectly, you've now started to worship the gift rather than worship the giver? And for most of us, truth be told, Speaking honestly and lovingly, it's about money. It's mostly about money. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus spoke about money more than any other topic other than kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus says this, for your heart, there it is again, that word heart, for your heart will be always be where your riches are. Where are those today? Are we coveting those gifts or are we giving generously to those who follow behind us? You know, we're to be both consumers and distributors as Christ followers. We're consumers of the word. We receive it, but we're supposed to distribute it to others, not keep it to ourselves. And we're to be consumers of what God gives us for our provisions for our daily lives. But we're not supposed to hoard it up like the Israelites did on the way to the promised land, thinking that they were not going to get tomorrow's provision. We're to distribute it. So we have those opportunities through our tithes, our offerings, and sacrificially above and beyond to next generation. I mean, in the title, next generation, are for those who come after us. We invest in the places that pay dividends for eternity. Is there an obstruction that is blocking a vital artery in your life? There's nothing wrong with nice things and good things, but maybe you're Abraham today, and whatever that thing is, it's Isaac that you need to put on the sacrificial table. A lot of times, God just gives it back to us. He just wants to check to see where he stands. 
And other times he sacrifices it. But if he sacrifices it, he'll replace it with something better. There is good news for a Christ follower who repents in these scenarios, who removes the obstruction from their heart. In Hezekiah's words, people of Israel, return to the Lord. Come to his sanctuary. Serve the Lord your God. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Lastly, as you've checked your heart, maybe you're in a great place. There is no heart disease, and that's awesome, and we give praise and glory to God for that. It can only be done through his spirit. But the key is maintaining that healthy lifestyle. And once again, Hezekiah provides the answer. It says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord. I'm going to say that again. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord. The Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Now, no perfect people allowed is one of the themes of our church. And I want you to know, Hezekiah, by all means, was not perfect. There's just not time to go into some of those things today. But we're in good company. But are we holding fast to the Lord? And it can happen to the best of us. I mean, the second wisest person who ever lived was Solomon. And yet Solomon did not finish strong. We want to start strong. We want to finish strong, and in between, we need to hold fast to be strong. But in Solomon, we read this. You must not intermarry, he was told, with them. That's foreign women, because they will surely turn your heart, your heart after other gods. That is exactly what happened to Solomon. Funny how God's word is true 100% of the time. Scripture states that he held fast. Listen to those words. There's no coincidence here. He held fast in love to them. We read in 1 Kings, he developed heart disease, in other words. He started strong, but he did not finish that way. You know, things either get better or they get worse. They never stay the same, and that's true for you and I today. So I leave you with these final words. It's not about whether our life's extended. It's about what we do with our life today. This moment, checking our heart. If our life is extended, let's make it worth something. And let's constantly remind one another. And let's constantly look for reminders in God's Word and elsewhere that will keep us on the right track. You know, I'm so thankful for this surgery. It's allowed me to learn. It's allowed me to share. And it's allowed me a visible reminder to keep my heart on the right track. See, every morning when I wake up, I look in the mirror. There's a seven-inch scar that reminds me to take care of my heart. I praise God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We know it's a day that was not promised, and we know that we're here for a reason. And we know that we're here for a season. And Father, I just pray that we would honestly, openly look at our hearts this morning and take whatever action that you desire to be taken on them. Father, is, are we in need of a heart transplant? Do we need to lift our eyes to Jesus Christ, the remedy for our sins? And if so, we know that he has promised to instill us with a new heart, Father, and an eternal life 
that will go on beating long after our heart on this earth has come to a stop. Father, do we need repair? Do we need a bypass? Is there an obstruction? We started well. We started strong. But we desire not to be like Solomon. We desire to hold fast to you. So we pray that we might put whatever that might be on the altar and sacrifice it there if need be or just show you unequivocally that you are still our Lord and Lord and King of Kings. And Father, if our heart is free from disease, we give thanks to our brothers and sisters who are in that state and we pray for them that they would continue to hold fast and stay strong for every day that they have, whether it be today, one more day, or many years. Father, we want to serve you. We want to worship you. And now we pray a blessing upon these offerings, Father, that we put on the altar, these provisions that you have given as we give back to you, Father, in some small, tangible way. We thank you for what you're going to do with it and how it's going to ripple across this valley, across this country, this world. It will bypass this generation onto the next, and we will celebrate it alongside you for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.